It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We're being hit with energy increases with inflationary increases left, right, and center. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 0833 996 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96. I know it's an awful tragedy and all that, what happened in Greece and a terrible thing, uh, that crane, train crash. But you know what it does exhibit is the way that things actually happen in other countries. There's already somebody in custody. There's already at least one government minister has resigned. The Minister of Transport has resigned in Greece over the whole thing, how it actually was allowed to happen. Compare that to the faffing about that we're getting from our lot to do with dealing with electricity bills. You have a pensioner in the news this morning. A pensioner got an ESB bill of a thousand euro. Like it, and, and the bills are getting bigger. And then you have one company saying, oh, we'll look after the businesses now. But the ordinary punters, nothing for them just yet. And you have ministers sitting around going, lads, will we do something or won't we? It really would grind your gears. Good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Lovely morning, 2nd of March. 0818 96 96 96. The number, that and whatever else is on your mind, uh, uh, welcome at that number. Want to go first, though, to East Cork this morning. We got a, an email uh, during the week, or last week, actually, from Kira. Kira wants help, not for herself, but for her mum. And for her sister, mum finds herself in a little bit of a situation at the moment and she has one or two problems on top of that, which is making her situation worse, as they say, rather than better. Best thing to do rather than read a big, long email is talk to them. Kira, good morning. Hi, how are you, PJ? I'm very well. Tell me about mum. Um, so basically, um, well, I'm going to bring mom and Chantelle. Chantelle is my my younger sister who's 18 and she also has Down syndrome. Mom um, actually uh, has two disabilities. So she has cochlear implants because she went profoundly deaf. So she has a cochlear implant, but she's also registered blind. So her sight is very, very minimum. Um, both mom and Chantelle reside together. Um, but they're kind of at a situation now that 
they can't seem to secure a house for both of them. So they're kind of living, kind of going from B&B and hotels. Um, but we're just kind of, this is our last resort, trying to reach out if anyone could help us. I understand she had a house, but she sold it, correct? Yeah. So if you were to say back two years ago, mom had a lovely house. Um, she sold it to relocate. Um, she wanted to relocate to Mallow. At the time, she didn't find a house suitable to buy. So she sold her house and she was renting for a year. Unfortunately, that year tenancy, um, it, yeah, so the year tenancy um, was up. So she had to move out again. So with that, in the meantime, when she was living in Mallow, she also got broken into. Um, so she just felt very vulnerable. Bear in mind, she didn't have the family support down there. So I'm based in Middleton. So she wanted to relocate back to Middleton. Okay. Mallow didn't work out. Mallow didn't work out, no. Um, so she wanted to relocate back to Middleton with my younger sister. With that, um, you know, it's a nationwide problem. Like people can't get rental accommodation. And not just that, the prices had gone up in houses. Now, when mom sold the house, she was left with 50% of the sale price. So basically, the houses had gone up. She wasn't kind of in the criteria to actually, you know, the amount to buy a house at the time. So she was renting, waiting for the prices to come down. Um, but when she moved back, she couldn't get a proper house. She stayed with my sister for a while. She stayed with me some days. Um, and then she was kind of just like mom is very independent in her own way as well. So she was staying in a B and B, um, just kind of going from B and B to B and B. Um, bear in mind now when we did get the open viewings to go and view a house because of mom's very noticeable disability, she's kind of feeling her way in and feeling her way out. So that was a straight off barrier to even get the option to even rent a house in my eyes. And it's no disregard to the landlords. But I suppose insurance-wise and there, you know, you have young professionals, young families coming in behind us in these open viewings. And then you have mom with the very noticeable disability. And I think that was the barrier straight off. So it came to the situation we couldn't even secure rented accommodation for her. Um, we then um, got her B&B to stay in. Um, she actually stayed in a few lovely B&Bs, but like that, they would instantly have their back up when mom would, would appear at the door because of the very known disability as well. And they would think, you know, they're going to be her carer, whereas mom is very independent. They were very nice to leave her stay and realise, you know, how independent and how much she could manage. But this is only short term. So she's literally going from B&B to B&B. And Kira, tell me, is she supported by HAP or is she paying her own way or what's the story? She's paying her own way. So at the moment, when she's actually staying in B&Bs, it's, it's the money from the sale of the house, which I'm anxious at that she's going to be left with very little option. Um, we explored all options, so I actually tried to see if we could get a loan in the bank to kind of boost it to to be in the cash agree to afford a house, you know, within the price range that is there today. So she has a few bob, as it were. She has a few quid. She does. She doesn't have enough to get her started on a new house but I think she has too much then to get help through HAP and things like that and that's the other issue so because she has the means from the house she doesn't qualify for social housing and like because she doesn't qualify for social housing they're not obliged to even give her emergency accommodation until she gets started so she's kind of in a bit of a tether here 
So like basically um, we are trying to reach out to people, to even the affordable housing. She's not going to qualify for a mortgage. We've explored all avenues. So she's kind of in a situation. She's not given a chance to rent a property. We can't secure a house to buy for her forever home. And then we can't get in this social housing scheme. So like we're, I'm just kind of coming to air this to see, is there anyone that can actually help with mom in her situation? She's caught between a number of categories. She doesn't qualify for homeless assistance because she has means through the sale of the house. But those means aren't enough to get her into the actual housing market as it now stands. So she's effectively using her savings, as it were, or using the money from the sale in a B&B. But you feel that you feel she should be a special case. Like, we're not looking for special treatment. We just want the right treatment. So both Mom and Chantel, this is a unique case because they're both people with that vulnerability, the disability. So basically, like, for Mom, I can check into a and b and I can easily see everything around me and find where where is what. Every time Mom moves B&B, she relies on her touch and her step. So she's just trying to find her grounding and her feeting in one place. And unfortunately, they're booked out for the following week. She has to move on. Bear in mind, she's bringing bags and baggages, you know, and I just feel we just we're we're trying to reach out to anyone that can actually help us. We've explored all options, you know, Um, like even if there was someone like a landlord that would even have a vacancy that they could even short term lease for three to six months even like you know anyone in the Cork County Council I have reached out to them I have pleaded the case but you just have to meet the criteria and unfortunately as you pointed out she's just in the middle like she's borderline between everything so we're kind of at tethers like mom is literally on her knees you know my heart breaks for her every day because obviously I see her struggles and she's a mighty woman like you know her spirits are always high but I just feel, you know, her disability is such a barrier to even getting anywhere here. Yeah, she she really is caught in, 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 in between categories. She is. And we've explored all options, you know, where I'm looking up relentlessly every night, every day, looking up for properties. And may I point out as well, any property that has come up, um, they're only a guided price. So even if you go in with an offer, there's no question of a doubt that that property is selling for fifty or sixty thousand more than what price that price is up on, you know, up on the edge. And I've been told that as well. Kira, is she looking to buy or to rent? She would love to buy if if she had the right price. If the right house came up the right price, if she could afford it, she wants to buy. She doesn't want to be in a in a really low situation that all her savings, all the means of this house is gone. And then what options does she have then? Yes. You know, like, I know it's a nationwide prob- problem and mom's not the only one in the situation because I hear stories all the time on the radio and from people that people are left, that left jobless, they can't pay rent, they're out in the streets. You know, luckily, mom's not out in the streets because she has her means and she has me, you know, and she has some support. But like, this is all just short term. We need to set something up for long term. Like, is there anyone that can advise us, assist us, even with the council, even give her a chance to assess her? Like, I can declare Chantel homeless, but Chantel's 18 and she, she's not. She can't live independently. Yeah. So that means separating mom and Chantel then as well.
Yeah, well, there's no reason why that should need to happen. That 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 would be an, an awful thing because, like you said, she's yeah. she's caring for Chantel. They both have needs. They both have needs, like, and you know, it's just so hard because, as I said, things we take for granted are full sight, hearing, everything. She struggles every day with her, you know, very noticeable disability. She gets up and she just gets on with it. But it's just they need their home. Like, I'm just trying to direct it that. Is there anyone that can help, like any landlord that can help a short term lease to give her a chance? Because she, I feel she's not given the chance. Like, even if I ring, you know, the council, they're even familiar with the case. I'm after ringing, you know, a few times and stuff, just trying to voice, you know, the seriousness again. I don't want mum to be left with nothing, you know. Kira, put it out there for me. What is it that she needs? What are her requirements? Does she need a two-bedroom apartment? Does she need a house, ground floor, flat, whatever? Well, preferably ground floor, because obviously with her disability, she can manage stairs, but it's easier without the stairs, you know? It's, you know, as easy as possible for her. So preferably, it doesn't matter if it's a ground floor apartment, a granny flat that someone has built on, you know, just once she has, an area for her and Chantelle comfort. They're not confined to one room. They have their own, like mom is very independent. You know, she's well able to cook and clean and everything. You know, she needs her independence back as well. And is there an area that you have in mind, a particular area? Preferably East Cork because Chantelle is actually going to um, the Cope Centre here. And also I'm located here as well as my other sister. So she has that additional support. And there is there is support built up with Cope and that around Cope for Chantel. Right. So preferably East Park area, you know. You never know. There could be there, Kira, someone who has a suitable place that you, your mother could yeah. at least call home for a while until she gets settled and can either buy something, can afford something or set up a long-term rent. Just somewhere to get her started rather from moving from B&B to B&B. Yeah, it's not healthy anyway as well because, you know... The nutritional side with meals and stuff, it's not good for Chantelle, it's not good for mom. And as I, you know, I will amplify amplify the fact of her disability. You know, each time she moves, it's retraining, you know, yes, her, her surroundings again. You know, it's mobility training. Like when she goes somewhere, she has to get the mobility training in. Like she's currently staying in a hotel and then the social worker for the NCBI actually came down to give her the mobility training, you know, around the hotel. But we need somewhere that is going to be a bit more permanent, whether it's three months, six months, where we are hoping to buy a house. But like that, we're not going to stand any chance if she's still renting or paying out, you know, for accommodation and stuff. No, okay. Is she there with you, Kira? that I could talk to her? She is, yeah. Hello, Ita. Hello, TJ. How are you? I'm very well. You're you're stuck, aren't you, between trying to find a place for yourself? Yes, I'm stuck in a, a narrow line between trying to find rent accommodation trying to buy a house. And what's really hurting is my daughter, Chantal, who has Down syndrome. She needs stability. And she doesn't have that at the moment. I understand. She's she's really struggling with it. Yeah, I know that Terrian Cope Centre in Middleton, she has a lot going for her. 
She's good at computers and art and music. So uh, she does that here in Middleton. And when she's 19 in April, she'll start a two-year course with Down syndrome and band colleague. And her, her care worker will be her one-to-one travel with her. But Shelley went off this morning on her own and went missing for two hours. I was devastated because Chantal is Down syndrome. She was born with two holes in her heart. And thank God we got through all that. I did last therapy work in her because I'm a therapist. But I gave up work when she was born with Down syndrome. And so I went to the care for my little girl. I never claimed care's allowance for her because I just want to be her mommy. But I claimed it two years ago. And she's coming on great, but every single day she says, I miss the house. And I feel so guilty that I sold it, but we were getting flooded all the time. So I decided to sell it. I couldn't find a place in Middleton and moved to Mallow. But in the meantime, my mother died of COVID in Mallow General Hospital. Oh, my. And the price of houses had gone up. That what I'd left, I couldn't afford to buy. And so my daughter, Kira, persuaded me to move back to Middleton. I'm here since October and cannot find a place for Chantal and I to live in. So we're living in B&B and the hotel and the staff have been fantastic. But we can't keep going like this, DJ. No, you can't. No, you can't. And you, you're, you're, you're saying, you're voicing it so well. You, you need, just need someone to give you a start. And someone who has a little place that you can call home for now. Yeah, like we're not looking for any handouts or anything, but as you said, any little place that Chantel can call home. And she has a bedroom and a bathroom and a kitchen to cook in and a sitting room, and that's all we need, you know. Like, she's even in a position to pay a year's rent up front, you know, to even secure a place if anyone's interested that way. Like, she's very, she'd be a very good tenant, you know, but she just needs, as you said, a start. The last house I was renting in Mallow, they let me go a couple months over the year because I was trying to find a place. And they gave me a good reference letter as a tenant that I handed back the house in good condition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I know that you came to us to, to get your situation out there. Ita, you've done a marvellous job in making your own case. And Kira, you certainly have been an incredible voice for your mother today. Thanks so much for giving us the opportunity as well. Let us see what happens, eh? I'd appreciate that. Ita, it is a pleasure to speak to you. My best wishes to you and to Chantel. And Kira, thank you for introducing yes. me to your wonderful mom. Oh, thanks so much, PJ, for taking the the call and, you know, getting our story out there, you know. I really do believe, you know, the power in media can actually have a huge effect. So thank you so much. Let's just see what happens. Kira and Ita and uh, Chantel, we're thinking of you all and thank you for being with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. You're, you're more than welcome. More than welcome. That's a sad little story. They came to us by email reaching out to know could they have an opportunity <clears throat> to put their case out there. They have some money. Ita has some money from the sale of the, the first house. Not enough to buy another one just now. 
we'll see what happens there but she's looking for a place to rent herself and her daughter her daughter has Down syndrome and Ita has her own needs she's registered blind and she wears cochlear implants that's why her she sounds a bit odd some people saying on the phone but wonderful people wonderful people and they're just looking for a bit of help if anyone has it in the East Cork direction 0818 96 96 96 any suggestions are welcome you might have seen the pattern emerge over the last week or two where now that COVID is in the rearview mirror and that's the expression I continue to use it's not gone it's still out there people still get it although they don't get so sick these days some people are looking back now on how we dealt with it, how we handled it. And they're asking questions about that. One of them is a man who was a regular on the show throughout the pandemic, Professor Jack Lambert. I'll speak with him next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Okay, let's do some quick math. What do you get when you add this? With a 1975, welcome to the show. To this? Oh my god, I'm the biggest fan ever. Plus this. Please tell me this is Lorraine. That's right, you get this. <laughs> This week on the big drive home, I'm giving away tickets to see the 1975 at Musgrave Park, and you could be there listening to win every weekday from four. The big drive home, Corks 96 FM. So we've learned that there will be an inquiry. The government is talking about an inquiry into the handling of the pandemic, whatever shape that will take. We we don't yet know. Also, recently, Professor Martin Cormican, who I believe was a member of NIFIT, has been criticising the reaction to the COVID pandemic at the time. He said, for example, it was wrong to impose visitor bans in nursing homes or to close the schools long term. Looking back at it now, those are the things he's saying. Professor Jack Lambert. Jack, you've you've kind of come out in agreement with, with um, Professor Cormack and have you? Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, yes, and I, and I would say, I, I mean, I, I, I was, I've been making these statements since uh, 2020, you know, from the, from the original establishment of NEFET. Uh, you know, I questioned, do you have the right people on top, you know, making decisions on a day-to-day basis with the right expertise that's going to kind of be a success story? Uh, so I've raised those issues from the very beginning. Do you think um, we overreacted in certain sectors, Jack, and underreacted in others? Well, well I, I, I think, yes, I would say that, but I think the most important thing is, is that if you have a group of HSC and Department of Health people who are re- remote, you know, distant from the field, you know, you need people in the trenches kind of guiding, you know, what, what needs to be done, you know. So, so I think, the, you know, I, there's, there's some, there were some smart people on, on, on NEFET, um, but, but like I said, they, they might not necessarily have the skill set. You don't just need an epidemiologist. You know, epidemiologists, you know, count, you know, numbers. You, you need clinicians who have experience. You need people in the field 
you know, to, 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 to feed back to Neffet and, and that was missing, I think, looking back on it. You need infection control experts, I would have thought. Well, Did well, we have well, someone like that? Well, well, infectious disease experts and people from a wide variety of, of areas who were imp- imp- impacted by, you know, the decisions made by Neffet, you know. I mean, just, just as an example, you know, when it first came along, there was no infectious disease doctors on on the committee and then it was primary and, and very few females on on it as well well just out of interest but but the issue is is that i actually had contacted the you know, department of health saying you've got no infectious disease doctors you need to have those on you on your group people clinicians with experience who know what's going on to guide you to you know to feedback to you and response was if we need them we'll bring them in and do a consultation with them and that's not good enough we actually yeah. need people on a daily basis, they are making decisions, and I think that was that is one of the concerns is that you know you know on and on messages coming from Neffet to the general public or many times was 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 misinformation. I mean, the, the the message coming out regularly: kids don't transmit COVID. Kids, you know, trans COVID is not transmitting in schools. I mean, this was a message down the way, and every, all of us, including you know. You know, families knew that the kids were bringing COVID back, and that COVIDs were a source of transmission. But this, 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 these were communications coming from senior members of NEFA. Yeah, yeah. Outbreak management, as we learned, and I spoke many times, Jack, with uh, Dr. Noel Conroy, or as it is now, Professor Noel Conroy, who's back in Ireland, but at the time was based in Queensland, and he was talking to me about the importance of having an outbreak control specialist at the helm. I don't think we had that. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't at many levels. And and Neffet portrayed themselves, I said, as the, you know, you come to Neffet for everything. They make decisions about everything. But the reality is, is that that there was the, that that wasn't the situation. You know, I, I was on television and even back a long time ago talking about long COVID. And mm-hmm. one of the ministers who was sitting next to me said, oh, Neffet's taking care of that. Well, Neffet was taking care of everything. So here we are. You know, three years they, they weren't taking care of everything, so there was misinformation that Neffet, that I think Neffet portrayed, and also that people were depending upon that Neffet was control in control of everything, and a lot of things fell through the cracks. Jack, can I play you a small bit of audio? And it's one that struck me from the very early days of the pandemic. This is Dr. Mike Ryan. Uh, he became the voice of the, of the WHO. And here's in the very, very early days. This is just uh, t- 28 seconds, and maybe, maybe, maybe you'd respond to it in, in, afterwards. This is Dr. Mike Ryan from the World Health Organization in the very early days of the pandemic. One of the great things in emergency response, and anyone who's involved in emergency response will know this, if you need to be right before you move, you will never win. Perfection is the enemy of the good when it comes to emergency management. Speed trumps perfection. The problem in society we have at the moment is everyone is afraid of making a mistake. Everyone is afraid of the consequence of error. But the greatest error is not to move. Would you agree with him, Jack? Absolutely, and I think this is this is it. I mean, I, I can give you example after example after example. You know, in the first wave, we we said we, we took a long time to make decisions on who would get tested for PCRs. You know, then we opened it up and had thirty thousand PCRs. Uh, you know taken by GPs and then oops we didn't have the reagents and equipment and supplies to to run those tests and we had to send them off to Germany and they got lost in Germany so I just think that 
there was delay, 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 delay in making decisions. And, and, and then our minister, like I said, our minister of health is supposed to be on top of things, briefed on things, knowledgeable of things. And I think the communications coming uh, from the minister of health, you know, repeatedly, um, really showed to me that that he wasn't getting expert opinions, he wasn't being briefed appropriately on the COVID pandemic. So I I think we have to look back on, uh, you know, what happened with COVID, where we made mistakes. There was huge bureaucracy, huge delays, and those delays actually had adverse outcomes for Irish people and Irish society. And we don't want to reproduce that again moving forward when the next wave comes along of, of, you know, uh, Infection X, which is predicted by the WHO. Yeah, there, there will be another pandemic. You and I have yeah. talked about this before. There will be another one. Uh, the chances are that it'll be one we can't bring under control in a couple of years. It could be a much more serious disease. This disease X that would. When we next have to, and we will have to reconstitute an effort, Jack. Who should be on it first? Call. Well, well, well I think clinicians, people working in the fields. People with the expertise, you know, not not, you know, very people are people are chosen often because they're they're easy and they're manipulated and they're like life experience. So you need to have people who are who have the expertise. Um, and then I think you need to have representation. I think there wasn't really appropriate representation. Like I said, there's 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 like I said, who was affected? Nursing homes were infected. You know, uh, schools were infected. You need you need to have people working in those areas who are seeing the impact, who can actually be part of the solution. You know, and I just don't think that that happened. I I don't think there were the pe- people on top. So I think we need to re- reconstitute, uh, get people with lived, lived experiences, involve patients who who have been you know who have having lived experiences, get feedback from them. So I think we need we need to be more inclusive in terms of who who we include on. on to be on the top, making decisions well, on a daily basis. But, but mental health experts, psychologists, psychiatrists, because, look, we locked yes. down, we stayed home, uh-huh. we did what we were told, but now we seem to be counting the cost of that in our young children, and only just yesterday, the new chief medical officer is appealing to older people, look, it's okay to go out now. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, and that's what I'm saying, I think we need to have appropriate representation of all affected groups, um, and we didn't have that. Uh, we said, oh, we'll call upon them if we need them. But how do you, if you're on top and you're out of touch with what's going on in the trenches, you, you don't even know the right questions to ask. All right. Jack, hopefully it'll be a long time before we have to talk about another pandemic. But just with, I, I, I always refer to COVID now. I refuse to go any further than saying it's in the rearview mirror. Am I right or wrong, do you think? I think you're right because because it hasn't gone away, um, and it's still having an impact on people. Thank God, is you know the hospitals aren't filled with COVID people. You know the ho- hospitals aren't in crisis with acutely ill people, but there's people are getting infected, people are suffering, long COVID an issue, and that's not been addressed appropriately at the present time. So we're going to continue to face the consequences of this ongoing, you know, kind of simmering pandemic. And very lastly, you would, I think, endorse the words of the new chief medical officer when she said in the last couple of days to older people, and I would have some older listeners or listeners who have older parents who are afraid. It is now relatively safe to go about your business. Is that fair? It is safe. It is safe. It's absolutely safe. And, and but, but, but there is a this caveat, you know, if you're in close quarters... You know, I, you know, wear a mask. I, you know, it's not the it's not the final solution. But but I think if you're in cross quarters and, and you're vulnerable, 
you know, immunocompromised, I still think there's a role for masks. But yes, it is safe to go out and people should be going out and trying to get on with life in a safe way. Professor Jack Lambert, as always, grateful for your expertise uh, from UCD. Professor Jack Lambert, 0818969696. When we look back on how we did it, there are some of the mistakes that were made. There wasn't, for example, an outbreak management expert on NEFET. There wasn't, for example, a mental health expert on NEFET. And as you said, there wasn't enough people on NEFET who had served in the trenches, who had sweated in the trenches. The Niall Conroy's of this world, who'd sweat it in the trenches. The next Neffet, they need to be on it. 0818969696. Now, we talked... I tell you, sometimes you get an email to this programme and you read it and it takes off like nobody's business. One of them this week was about vestibular migraine. And into the third day, believe it or not, we are now of discussion on vestibular migraine. Joanne, you had to... You had to be taken to hospital by ambulance the first time you got it. Morning. Morning. Hi, PJ. Good morning. How are you? Good. Yeah, um, no idea what was wrong with me. I was in work. Um, ironically, actually, at the time, I was just working in a dental practice, so a lot of medical help around. And my own brother owned the practice, so um, immediately he was attending to me, making sure I was okay. And so essentially my symptoms, like I was, I had no other symptoms. I was very well, went to work, hadn't a great night's sleep the night before, had a couple of coffees that morning to get me going, a very busy environment. And then I went for my lunch and I just came back and I actually had to lie down on one of the dental chairs. And I became so ill that I had to actually use my mobile phone to ring reception to tell them I'm in one of the, the surgeries. I don't know what's wrong with me. So when my brother came in, he looked at me and he said, you're having some sort of a seizure. My body was jerking uncontrollably. I had this kind of a whooshing pressure pain going through my brain and I just felt incredibly nauseous. So my, my brother thought I hadn't eaten enough and started, ironically, a dentist, give me sugar and give me Lucasade and filling me up with lots of sugar, thinking I was hyperglycemic. And within, you know, another hour, I was still getting worse and worse. So I ended up being brought by ambulance. Now, I was very, very lucky. I'm in Dublin and uh, live on the south side, but work on the north side. And I I was blessed because the ambulance brought me to Beaumont, which is obviously the best neurological hospital in Ireland. And I was seen, I waited in A&E and I was seen by um, a a junior neurologist. So he diagnosed me with vertigo and said, you have a severe case of vertigo. I couldn't walk um, when he tested different skills. I just couldn't walk in a straight line. It was like being drunk, essentially. So he put me on um, medication um, to calm the, the brain down, if you like, and then to come back if I didn't get any better. So I was on um, CERC, I think it was, or Stematol, which is a known drug that doctors will prescribe if you walk in and say I have vertigo. So then uh, I went home and I was chronically ill for a number of days and I went back to my GP and even he said it's vertigo. So over the years, I would have had one vertigo attack since my early 20s. It would last a few days, I would take medication and I, I would be fine. So that happened to me over about 20 years. But this, I'd never experienced. My body was jerking uncontrollably. I looked like I was having a fit. Uh, my speech was gone. My vision was gone. My, ear, my hearing was sensitive. 
very, very nauseous as well. And most importantly, my balance was gone. Wow. So then I... You must have been very frightened, were you, Joanne? Exceptionally frightened, not having a clue what was wrong with me. And then looking back also, I about uh, three months prior to that... I went for a walk up the hill in Dublin with a couple of dogs and I was had a little, I'd started doing a little light run and I remember, no idea how it happened, I just fell over and I broke my leg. And I said, so I was now in another, this was prior to this, I was now in an ambulance being t- taken with a, broke, a broken ankle actually and a broken foot from having fallen over and not understanding how I had fallen over. So that was one part of the puzzle. So anyhow, when I went back the second time, the um, uh, neurologist on call said, yeah, it's it's vertigo, uh, but because you're still so ill and the tablets we're giving you isn't working, we'll, we'll get you seen by a senior neurologist. So I had to wait about eight weeks to be seen. And in that time, I was in and out of the doctor's I was so ill. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. Uh, I felt exceptionally nauseous. Um, I, it, I was just. I went from being a hundred percent, if I, I suppose, normal to do to being completely debilitated. I, just to rem- wheel back again for a second, in case I missed this. This yeah. came on you in your lunch break. My lunch break. Wow. No, no. My brother thought it was. It was a lovely summer's day. It was July, not last year. The year before, he thought. He thought. He. My brother thought it was the sun sitting out at lunch. He thought I hadn't eaten enough because I had a salad. Um, but looking back now, because I now know I have vestibular migraine, the reason I had an attack was because I had too much coffee. I had three coffees that morning. I had Coke for my lunch, a bottle of Coke. I had also not slept the night before. So lack of sleep is a huge trigger and too much sleep is a huge trigger. But you, what happens with what happens is the first thing everyone needs is a diagnosis. And unfortunately, in this country, you can go around for years without a diagnosis. And how I heard you were talking on the radio in Cork when I'm living in Dublin is because there was a wonderful lady called Claire who set up a WhatsApp group because she was ill for three and a half years before she got diagnosed. Wow. And we have another girl who's sick from Cork, a vet, for over six years who hadn't a diagnosis. So I am one of the lucky ones because because I went through an, uh, the A&E uh, part of the hospital, I got seen and I got heard. Mm. And then I was, I was referred to a migraine clinic in Beaumont. And I'm walking in the door going, why am I going to a migraine clinic? I don't have migraine. I don't suffer from headaches. Why am I here? And I walked in and I met... Um, He's known as the top neurologist in the country, um, Dr. Rutledge, Martin Rutledge. And I would highly recommend anyone even to come from Cork Mm -hmm. to see him. He is the top guy, known as the top guy in Ireland. So I got to see Martin Rutledge and he's very blunt and and very direct. And he said he did all the assessments. He checked my gait, my balance. I was all over the place. I had... Um, I think it's called nigamasa, where your eyes are shaking within your head. Wow. And yeah, and he said you have vestibular migraine. I had never heard of it, didn't know what it was. Uh, he told me it's a neurological disease, so it's a, a disease, uh, and migraine is a neurological disease or a disorder. Um, he said, I said, how do? Why do I have it? He said, 
because you're 49 and you're in menopause. And at that point, I didn't even know I was in menopause. Again, that's another day's work yeah. on menopause. It seems to be very common, Joanne, in menopause. It's horm- With women, it's hormones. It could be hormones after uh, you, in puberty, after having a baby. So my episode started uh, uh, of vertigo in my 20s. And I had one attack a year over a couple of years, and then it stopped for a number of years. So he, looking back, he said that was probably vestibular migraine or migraine. And then what ha- what happens is when your estrogen or your hormones drop in menopause, it then triggers this condition, vestibular migraine. The thing about it is, though, it's about getting a firm diagnosis. Once you have a diagnosis, a, m- a number of things happen. You can go for proper treatment. So the treatment lines for me was to get on a medication. He gave me three options of medication and I started the medication. So you have to calm the brain down with medication. That's my belief. Some people uh, try and go it alone without medication. I said, give me whatever, you, whatever you've got. Yes. So you, get, you take the medication, which can be... Um, uh, it, there's diff- different types of medication, but that obviously that's uh, the doctor will or the migraine specialist will decide what's right for you. Then you go and get a vestibular um, therapy. So you were talking to Sheila yesterday, amazing woman, I believe. Vestibular VRT, we call it, um, is crucial to getting better because what you're doing is you're retraining your brain. So I went from falling over and that's why I fell in April, by the, by the way, because yeah. my vestibular. So when we talk about vestibular, it's balance. Mm-hmm. Your ears and your your ears and your eyes uh, and your brain are are all misconnected. Your vestibular system, yeah. Your system. So you're you're so you're walking as if you're drunk. You feel as if you're drunk. You're falling all over the place. You can't drive. Going from your kitchen sink to your cooker can trigger an attack. And the more uh, attacks you get the worse you become and the problem is that it's not like a, a general migraine where you get an attack which is so severe obviously a migraine where you get a general he- a headache you get pain you get problems with your eyes and your ears and your sound all your sensory stuff but then you recover and you're okay until your next attack unfortunately with vestibular migraine it continues you get residual symptoms and sometimes the residual symptoms are nearly worse than the attack because you're permanently nauseous you're permanently dizzy so the thing is the beauty about it is getting a diagnosis um, and that personally I believe in my, uh, you need to see a migraine specialist or a neurologist for that this, there, there are there are people like Sheila who diagnoses you but I think going down the the medical route with with a yeah. a, 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 a migraine a specialist or a neurologist is key that's the okay. first thing the second thing is then my uh, neurologist recommended Doug Duffy the balance centre in Dublin to go to him for VRT vestibular uh, therapy so when you mentioned physio yesterday so how is physio helping you're actually doing exercises with your eyes so you're looking at a wall you're looking at an X on the wall and you're turning your head left right up down and you're doing these exercises different exercises sitting standing uh, legs apart legs together eyes closed eyes open these are all exercises that will train retrain your brain that that explains it yeah, and then, so it's not 
physical exercises you're doing, like, a, you know, normally in physio, it's all to do with connecting your eyes and your brain. Okay. And then as you do these exercises, you start to improve. And I was exceptionally lucky. I got to a point where I'm able to manage it because I've learned. I'm very... Um, I, I didn't let it, I didn't, I'm, I'm a very go-getter type person and it really, I thought my life was over a year and a half ago. I thought I was done. I was on, yeah. on illness benefit. I could never work again. Now, I haven't worked again, but I plan to work okay. again. Okay, I'm going to so, have to leave it with you yeah, there, Joanne. I just, for no I men- go, on, go ahead. Yeah, mention one thing. We have set up a migraine a group, a WhatsApp group, and I'm happy for anyone to take my number and I'm very happy to join them to our group because there are over 50, one man and 50 women on the group and we've all been a huge support to each other. So if anyone wants my number, you can. I can give it out now or you can give I'll it I'll give you someone. back to Fergal and Richard and you can give them the, the details of that number and we will certainly put people who want to be in contact with that group in contact with it. Joanne, thank you. For no reason other than time, I need to move. I will no doubt come back to vestibular migraine, but there is one call I need to get in this side of 10. So I'll do that next. Joanne, thank you very much. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The 7 doubt we will return to vestibular migraine, but to West Cork we must go first. The gorse fires last weekend in our on Mount Gabriel that almost threatened the aviation golf balls as they called them and terrified people living around Skull. Francis, or Cathy rather, Cathy. Hi, good morning. This is becoming too frequent an occurrence at this time of year, I think. It is, yeah, yeah. And the fact that I couldn't believe you're still allowed to burn the stuff in 2023. Yeah, well... I think the 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 way farming is now, farmers are penalised for having it on their land. Yeah. We've um, almost got a whole generation of farmers now who farm for grants. And it's through no fault of their own. They've almost been trained to farm this way by, by being paid. Yeah. And they are permitted to burn it up to and including the 1st of March. But it came yeah. out of hand. Because the weather, particularly, has been very dry. Certainly, yeah. Um, it's it's pretty hard to control it, really. And they kind of wait for the dry spells to do it. Um, so what needs to change, do you think, Cathy? Well, probably the whole way the uplands are managed. Um, How do you mean? Well, like you, not, you were, you're saying that the way we graze the land, the way we farm the land, we need to look at it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there has been experiments done around the country on different ways of managing uplands with perhaps cattle instead of sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, that they they graze in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, do, why is it that gorse needs to be removed? Why are farmers, you know, why do you say farmers are penalised for having gorse well, on their land? Why is that? Yeah. 
Uh, it's been like an, an EU thing that's been... I mean, they've been subsidising farmers for, I don't know, probably getting on for 50 years now. And at the moment, they, they do aerial photos of the farms and they can they get payment deducted for gorse. Yes. Um, and gorse is a great habitat. It's great for a lot. I mean, it's like a case of the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing a lot of the time. Like, then on one hand, they're giving grants for biodiversity and everything else, and on the other hand, they're penalising for biodiversity. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like they they can't seem to. I, I don't know if it's deliberate. It could be deliberate. They could be, you know, in a long a long term plan of putting the farmers out of business, taking their land. I mean, already that is happening. Farmers are going out of business multinational companies are buying up the land yes yes, yes. Um, actually Kate I, is listening to you there Cathy Kate you, you, you think we should be paying I, attention I, I to the ecosystems that have been I do damaged. and I, I also think that these kind of fires could get out of hand can you imagine if that is gone to scone or any village nearby and burnt a load of the houses down like the, it happens in California when they get out of control in actual fact, even the, some of the firemen said they didn't even have enough backup and it would be an hour or two before they'd be able to get another fire brigade. So I'm sorry, but I, I think this, this idea that they're burning it just to get the, a grant, come on, like, did you see the damage? Yeah. Take one look at no, the... I, I, when, when, when I was talking to um, the, 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 the TD, his name has gone out of my head now on Monday, I could yeah. not believe that you can still burn the thing. Christopher Russell. Yeah, I mean, do you remember they stopped... Do you remember donkeys years ago? I remember my granny. You know, you could have a thing in the back garden with them, an old, um, uh, you know, barrel, and you could burn garden stuff. I do, I do. That was all stopped. That was all stopped. That's right. We can't yeah. burn rubbish in our back garden now, but you can yeah, still you, yeah. you can still burn gorse on the side of a mountain. Thank you both. That's actually a conversation I think that is going to be ongoing because Kat's Kat, that's Cathy who contacted us and Kate who got into the conversation. That's a discussion that is going to go on because I predict that there will be more gorse fires and I predict that if we get the, the third warm summer in a row, which people are saying we will because of El Nino, which is coming then we could have more gorse fires. Thank you both. Thanks to Cathy and thanks to Kate. A conversation I think we will return to. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. That uh, fight, bad fight that was on McCurtain Street last night in or around or on a bus around 10 o'clock last night. We got reports about it. And literally as it was happening, uh, there's a man going to appear in court this morning. He was arrested, brought to Mayfield Station. He has been charged and he's due before the district court at half ten. If we hear any more to do with that. If anybody saw that altercation, seemingly it went on for 10 to 15 minutes and was quite vicious. Two men fighting quite viciously on a bus in McCurtain Street. We had eyewitnesses reports telling us what was going on. 
drew our attention to it. Does anybody see what happened last night? Does anybody know? What, was anybody else on that bus who would tell me what happened or, or talk to me a little bit about it? There is a guy going before the court, so we need to be a little bit careful about it. But it must have been a terrifying experience if you were actually on the bus. Imagine being on the bus and two fellas start laying into each other there in front of you in the middle of the evening as you're just going about your business, going home or going to work or whatever it is you'd be taking a bus for. Now, Curtin Street last night, you'd have a follow-on in the court this morning. Back to uh, gorse fires. I was asking the question, and I look, I'm just a, a townie. I'm a city boy. Uh, I don't understand why you'd be allowed to set fire effectively to the side of a mountain like Mount Gabriel and burn a bush and damage an ecosystem and threaten a habitat, let alone threaten the safety or potentially threaten the safety of people living around there. Not to mention even further, potentially threaten the safety of a major aviation installation. And I was saying to Christopher O'Sullivan, the TD, how on earth is it still allowed in 2023 to burn the side of a mountain? Fitzy, do you need to educate this townie? Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm, I grew up on a farm. So I have farm background. Yes. And you have, you have some farmers there that have between 100 to 400 heads of cows. And they and they and they need the fields to graze. Yes. And the gorse bushes they do take they do grow fast. Like if the farmers didn't do anything with the gorse bushes, the gorse would take over a field within a year. So that's and then that's a that's a field down. Right. And what we used to do was we used to do a controlled burn where we burned it the outside of the field first. Okay. And we and we'd be monitoring that. And that and that would be our fire break dance for when we do the inside of the field. Okay. Like my my father bought uh, four years ago. He bought two fields, and they were literally overgrown with gorse bushes. Okay. And we spent two days doing that. Isn't there a better way to get them out, Fitzy? Can't you, you dig them out or cut them out? You do. You can dig them out, but you run the risk of you get the big bush of it out. But there's still roots with left over, and those roots will grow again. But won't they burn? The fire won't burn the roots either, because they're underground. Well, what they, what the farmers do is after they burn, they'll they'll plow the field. Okay. And then they'll they, then they'll spray, and then they'll till it, and still prep the field for for grass. Right. Burn, burn the field is the first stage of, 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 of actually getting rid of them. And is there no other way in 2023 to get rid uh, Clearly it's an invasive plant. Clearly it grows very, very fast. We, we get all that. But, like it they, looks awful to see the side of a mountain burning. Sprays. They have a resistance against most of the sprays. And the sprays that don't have a resistance against, the farmers can't use. Right, because they've been outlawed. So the sprays that will kill them are outlawed, and the the the, the farmers been told the spray these sprays you can use these ones you can't because they're endangering the environment endangerment. Okay. So the only way that the farmers can actually get their fields back is by burn of doing a doing a controlled burn and okay. ploughing. Okay. All right, Fitzy. Thank you for that. That's a townie educated. The farmer literally has no other way of getting rid of that gorse and using his or her land then to burn it. What do you think? Because we'll see more of this. 
the season ended yesterday. You can no longer legally burn gorse as of yesterday. Um, it will happen again. By accident or design, it will happen again. There's Fitzy, background in farming. I can't argue with him because I don't. It looks crazy to me. It sounds crazy to me that you can burn the side of a mountain in 2023 and do it legally. But Fitzy's argument is, as a farmer or a farming background, there is no other good way. What do you think? 0818 96 96 96. Now, I want to go back a few years to a story that we did cover here on the show when it happened. And we spoke to the woman involved. Her name was Megan Cullen. She was 25 at the time, so she'd be about 29 now. From Bantry. And in August of 2015, she tried to chop off her finger with an axe. And then in 2019, she did cut off the finger. She did it because she'd been in pain, in extreme pain, for a number of years. And this was a bizarre story. It made headlines all over the place. She did it at home and threw her finger in the bin. And then she was taken into Cork University Hospital where she was treated for injuries. She had had pain-blocking injections that didn't work. She has a condition Uh, that left her in 24-hour pain seven days a week. You might remember the story. The story is back because Megan is in pain again, in severe pain again. And now she is looking to get the rest of the finger, the knuckle and the stump, to have that amputated in a complicated and difficult Surgery. We were contacted this week by her mum, Catherine, who wants to put the story into the arena, public arena again, as it were, and see can she get some help for Megan. And she joins me now. Catherine, how is she these days? How is Megan these days? Good morning. Good morning. So the pain has got worse. She's ill all the time. She doesn't go out. She hasn't got a life. Remind us again of what the condition is. It's COPS, Clinical Regional Pain Syndrome. It's to do with nerve damage. Right. That's what it is. Now, anybody that has the shingles, I had the shingles August 21, and I'm still suffering with pain with nerve damage, and I can tell you, I know what she's like. But she's gone through nine years of this. Constant pain in the finger and the yes. stump of the finger. Yes. Now, she can't have a proper share. I have to wash her hair because she can't get the hand wet. She can't put on a bra. I have to put it on for her. There's so many different things, you know. And when you see your own daughter there, actually physically sick from pain, and nobody can help her. And she was so desperate a number of years ago that she cut off her own finger to try to ease the pain. She did. Yeah, she did. But at this stage, she's just off her head now at the pain. I'm on mother. I'm there. I just my last hope for it. We have a surgeon ready to go if we have the money to pay. I'll, I'll get to that in a sec. But just, she did 
amputate her own finger. She got some relief after that, I believe, but it has... She did. It has come back again and worse. Yeah, because yeah. she's a permanent infection in the finger. I see. And she wears yeah. a bandage, I take it, all the time, does she? She does it all the time, yeah. Yeah. So even to change that, she is in tears trying to change it. Okay. You know, I'm sitting there watching this. There is a surgery, I think, that can be performed. There is. They will take off the knuckle, the whole thing comes off. And the nerve that is damaged, they will actually tap them. And that will stop them growing. Right. So her pain would be, no, she'd always be in a bit of pain, but it would be pain that she can cope with. I see. She's totally now the, the 9th of March. And I'd do anything to be able to say to her, we made her. She's been in pain for, for how long? Uh, all in all, she's been in pain for 11 years. Crikey. But she's been seeing doctors for nine. And how did it start, can you remember? Uh, she caught it in a car door. That's how it all started. I see. I didn't know she was in pain for two years. It's a long story, but I didn't know. Yeah. And as soon as she told me, I had her straight at the hospital. I see. And there is a surgeon who will do... It sounds like a, a major procedure. But has she not been able to get it through the HSE? Has she not been able no. to get it through Stan? Why not? No. I don't know. I honestly do not. I've pleaded. I've begged. Nothing. And, and she's seen consultants, I take it, over the years. Oh, yeah. And what did yeah. they say? Um, well, they thought operations would work. With, and every time she went down for the operation, she came back and say to her, how are you doing? The pain is worse, ma'am. So it's nerve damage from the time that she shut the finger in the car door. Yeah. And now it has progressed to the point where the nerve is permanently damaged and she's in permanent excruciating pain. Yeah, that's it. And the only solution is to effectively remove or cap the nerve and take away the whole infected joint from around that's it. there. Right. Yeah. In England, they do it all the time. Right. And you found a surgeon who will do that for her? Yeah, we have. Okay. And where can it be done? Uh, in Dublin. Now, it has to be done in Dublin. A year and a half ago, we went up. There's quite a considerable cost involved here, though, isn't yes. there? Yes. Yes, because you need a pain specialist for four days. So it's the day before she gets the up, the day of the up and two days afterwards and that should reduce the pain they have to get the pain under control before the operation right then of course you need the anaesthetist it's a private hospital everything adds up right so she has to bring the pain under control using a pain specialist then there would be the surgery and then obviously post surgery she'd need more care and that's where the so how much money is involved well, we're saying um, 20,000. Right. Uh, we reckon about 20 to 25 is the the actual cost of it. So I want to be able to ring the sergeant, say, look, will you have a look at her again? We have the money. Yeah. That's basically it. And is that sergeant saying to you, this is the solution, or are there just something else to try? No, no, this is the actual solution. She has asked doctors to amputate it, and oh yeah, yeah. And then when she wakes up, as I said, it's still there. And why do they is, say they didn't do it? 
God knows. That's basically it. Right. I mean, I don't... This fella is actually a specialist on nerves. So he knows what he's talking about. I see. I see. And you know. So you have the GoFundMe up there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I'm just hoping to God it works. I know. I really am. Because well, the very fact that you're making the call on her behalf indicates to me that her health, mental and physical, is now so bad she can't. That's it. I mean, to see her crying every single day. And you're saying she can't do something as simple as wash her hair? Yeah. Them type things are gone. It's, ma, will you do this? Now, I'm partial, I'm visually impaired. So, I mean, there's a limit to what I can help her with. Yeah. But I do the best I can. It's your own daughter. What else can you do? Sure. But the simple, everyday things that we all take for granted leave her in pain. Yeah. Yeah. What can I do? I'm just, I'm just a man. I'm just trying to get her there. You're doing your best for her. But That's you need... it. That's all I can do for her, you know. All right. Um, the GoFundMe is out there. We will share it for you. Thank you so much. And see I where really it goes. appreciate it. Thank you. Best of luck to, to you and to her. Thank you so much. You have a good day. You too, Catherine. And give our best to, to Megan. Tell her we're thinking of her. She's in such constant pain that her mom has to do this for her because she can't actually take my call at the moment. If you want to help, if you want to read more, if you remember the story, Meg minus Stump equals life is the name of the GoFundMe. Just go into GoFundMe.com and look up Meg minus Stump and it'll come up for you. She wants to get, she needs to get, there's a surgeon who will take the whole stump off. But it's 30 rand and they can't get it done on on HSE. Thank you guys. 0818 96 96 96 on Gorse Fires. Mike, the farmer, was on to say, yes, us farmers need to control the blackthorn and things on our farms. I dig and cut it out every year. It just grows too fast. But Elke says the poor wildlife, birds nesting, etc., etc. Every year the same, still nothing changes. It's all so sad. We should all get active and avoid these dangerous fires in future. And Sue says these fires are killing all the wildlife. Bees and birds, nests, hedgehogs, insects, rabbits, and so on. So on. For a grant system that everyone says must change. I don't get it. Well, if you look at what they're saying, Paula said the farmer loses grant money if there's too much gorse on the land. And then the farmer has to burn the gorse back because there's no other way to get it go back. It'll grow back so fast. But I just, I can't accept as a human being, I can't accept that there isn't an easier way to do this in 2023. 0818 96 96 96. If you've ever had a grave of yours, of your family, of a loved one, if it's ever been interfered with, uh, you'll be very interested in Ashley's story. That's next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Come to in the second, Ashley. Just on Neffet, talking earlier with uh, Dr. Jack Lambert about when we look back at the handling of the pandemic maybe we should look again at how Neffet was constituted and how some of the de- decisions taken by Neffet might have been better informed had different people been sitting in 
the room. And at the time, we all followed the instructions of Neffet because that's what we were supposed to do. We were being responsible. We were doing our civic duty, as it were. Now people are looking back and saying, as you do, you must do with these things. You must look back with the benefits of hindsight and think, as Jack Lambert said, maybe we should have had more, as he says himself, people from the trenches on Neffet. Uh, and all of this will come up when they have an inquiry. The government have said there will be an inquiry. They haven't quite said what kind of inquiry just yet into how it was handled. Not to blame anybody, but to look at the next uh, pandemic. But on the phone, if you go back to all the inquiries we've ever had here, sure, no one has ever been prosecuted. One tribunal featured an individual who gave 210 answers of I don't know or I can't remember. And tribunals make it very hard to prosecute anybody anyway. One thing we don't need is an inquiry. We need change, which is a valid point. But how do you get change without knowing what needs to be changed? But thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Also had some responses to Ita and Kira from earlier. And I will come back. Now, Ashley, we're not saying where this grave is. And we're not giving any geographical clues as to where it is. But it's a family grave of yours. And there's, shall we say, there have been some problems. Morning. Good morning, PJ. I have a sister who died. She was stillborn. Um, She's she's buried now 43 years. Um, She was my parents' first child. Um, So when she died, my grandmother had said, oh, that she could be buried in with my grandfather. He died when my mum was a child. So, and she would have been his favourite. So she buried my sister in the grave. Um, So that was fine. Up until last year, my grandmother died. Okay, sorry to hear that. And since then, like memorial things that have been put on the grave for my sister have gone missing. And it's just the memorial stuff for my sister. Everything else that's for my nan and granddad stay on the grave. So your nan and granddad, your granddad died many years ago. Yeah. Your nana died last year. Yeah. Your sister who died, she was stillborn. She's yeah. buried in the same grave. And si- Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Since your nana died, the stuff dedicated to your sister has disappeared. Yes. And what, what kind of things, Ashley? Well, my parents had like a little flower pot stand with a little plaque on top of it. That was the first thing to disappear. And then another week or two later, they had like a, a little stone book with a little saying in it for a baby. That went missing. Um, then um, my mum had rosary beads, big rosary beads that came from Fatima. They've been on the grave for over 20 years. They're gone. And then at Christmas time, my mum got a new plaque and she always puts sweets on the, 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 the grave at Christmas anyway. And I went up a week or two later and they were gone. There had been a falling out between your mum and your nana. Yeah. But that was between them, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, we know who's doing it, but like I just think it's absolutely You, you know who's thing. doing it. And with, yeah. Without telling me, you, you know who's doing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you know why they're doing it? I suppose to get at my, my mum, really. <laughs> You know, so you um, know who was taking the stuff in memory of your little sister. You know who's taking. Have you spoken to this person? No. Is it someone you'd know well enough to speak to? I would, but again, a lot of things had been said, so there's no contact there. It's something that. As I say, it's been going on since my grandmother passed last year. And as I say, I just think it's absolutely disgusting. It's terrible. So to, to interfere with a baby's grave. And I went to the grave four weeks ago and my grandfather had the main headstone. And they had obviously engraved my grandmother onto the big headstone. My little sister had a small little heart shape headstone separate mm. which was obviously cemented and whatever that had actually been removed oh and not only had it been removed but it had been thrown to the front of the grave I then take it away so I got my husband to move it back to where it should be and two days later went back and it was back thrown up the top so my sister now is in, in an unmarked grave. It's awful. I'm driving around with a headstone in my boot of the car. Oh my goodness. And you say that your mum and dad, they're, they're both still alive. They're aware of this. Do they yeah. live out of the country or are they just away? They're back and forth. Okay. Yeah. And do they know who's doing it? They do. Like, it was always known that my, my mum and my grandmother didn't talk with years and there was never any issues made of it until she passed. I see. Do you know, um, my parents are the type anyway that don't want drama. Yeah. They don't want, they just want an easy life. But as I said to my, my parents, I said, well, you can't leave her in an unmarked grave. If you went to that grave now, you would only think there'd be my grandmother and grandfather in it. This is, this is the saddest part of all of this, where I'm looking at it anyway, Ashley, is look, regardless of what has happened between people, between 
elements of a family. That 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 is what it is, and and that's all yeah. it is. Someone who didn't even live to experience it is being punished. Yep. yep. That's what that is. It's got nothing to do with the child. It's her resting place with nearly 43 years. You know? That's so sad. You're looking to know, I think, where you stand legally here. Yes. And the management at the graveyard, for want of a better expression. Like, somebody is vandalising yeah. part of their grave, their, part of their cemetery. Have they anything yeah. to say about it? They just say, look, they would talk to the priest and they'd get back to me. Now, that was two weeks ago and I haven't heard anything yet. But he did say, he said it might be an issue for the guards. But then, as my dad said, like, you know, it's one word against another, like, there's no proof. I know, I know. It's a desperately upsetting situation to be in. And you said that you're now driving around with a headstone in the boot of the car. Yeah. My father had said, take it away because that would be the next thing to go missing. So, um, my husband was like, no, it's not coming out. <laughs> so it's in the boot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely horrific. I, I, I honestly didn't think anyone would go that far to interfere with a baby's grave and especially a baby that's been resting for 40 nearly 43 years Ashley it's a most unusual and upsetting story which you Mm -hmm. tell very well I don't know if anybody listening can offer you any advice legal or otherwise but but I thank you for, for, for getting in contact Thank you PJ Wonder welcome Ashley where do you even begin? Something, some kind of a rift in a family. These things happen all the time. Sometimes they're fixed. Sometimes they're not. But the person suffering was stillborn. The person who's being punished in this case was a poor, misfortunate, stillborn child. That's the bit that turns the hairs on my head. Have your row. God's sake, people have rows all the time. And sometimes they make them up and sometimes they don't. Sometimes people just go their separate ways in life and, and that happens. But this was a little child who was stillborn. They're the ones being made to pay. Something very, very, very wrong there. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Has anything like that ever happened in your life that you might have a suggestion or some help or some advice for where Ashley might might go about this? She knows doing it. It's someone she knows well enough to talk to. But it doesn't sound to me like that individual is very approachable. It's coming into communion and confirmation season. I've got two confirmation invitations coming up in, in March and, and April. Looking forward to them. Uh, there are no communions uh, around my way this year, but communions and confirmations are coming up. And one of the things that kids will be given for their confirmation and even for their communion a lot of kids will be given a smartphone is it the wisest thing to give a child for their communion, their first smartphone we shall look at the do's and don'ts, the whys and wherefores and whether you even should give them smartphones 
in a couple of minutes. 0818 96 96 96. Would you do that? Would you give your confirmation child or your communion child an iPhone or a Samsung or a whatever it is you're having yourself smart? Would you give a child their first smartphone for their communion or their confirmation? Child psychotherapist Coleman Nocter writes regularly uh, in the examiner about the do's and don'ts and the why's and wherefores and the ins and outs of of raising children. And he's writing in his latest piece about smartphones. Is it the right time? Is there ever a right time to buy your child their first smartphone? And he makes the point that as the confirmation season approaches, many families are now negotiating the cost of the outfit for the child. They're looking for a venue for the meal. They might even put a marquee in the garden or they'll draw up a guest list, all very formal things. But the smartphone is something that would be discussed. Is it time to buy your child the first smartphone? Is a confirmation present? Is the ideal confirmation present? Your child's first smartphone. Coleman, morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, I mean, it is the season where picking your confirmation name and picking the smartphone that you want seems to be part of the the, the wish list. Um, but I would warn parents that, you know, buying a smartphone um, for a child is only a start of a process. Do you know what I mean? And I think many parents feel kind of pressured to do it because, you know, you maybe the child is going into secondary school or they're you don't want them to be that digital outcast who doesn't have the, the, the technology to communicate with their peers, especially if they're going into new environments. But many people buy it with a degree of trepidation um, and kind of hand it over as maybe a kind of an end to a childhood in some respects. There's that kind of idea that it creates a distance between them and you. Um, and then obviously the concerns around what problems might arise when they have smartphone ownership and they are part of that digital world. So, um, yeah, I was trying to maybe look at trying to support parents to kind of make that decision that oftentimes it's not just about age, uh, but there are other factors that need to be thought about as well uh, in terms of the suitability of each child to take on that responsibility. I would have said if you can get to confirmation age, that's an achievement. You'll see them given out now for communions. Is any age too young or is there ever a correct age for your child to have their first smartphone? I think age depends very much on the individual maturity of the child. But I certainly wouldn't think that any child has maturity levels before the age of 12 or 13 to even begin to consider that. So, you know, I think getting a smartphone for communion age would be seven or eight is far too young. Um, And I just don't think they have the social, emotional or cognitive ability to even manage what that is i mean the essentially what you're handing them is a a portal to the outside world you know and there are some 13 year olds who you i personally have no issue with them being able to negotiate the online world however there are 17 year olds who i would have grave concerns about their maturity you know so the idea of 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 it's each individual child and i think the idea of smartphone ownership is a responsibility it's not a human right you know and you have to show the responsibility to earn the right if that makes any sense and that's why i think you know you're looking for a, a child who has who's able to be you know a little bit sensible they're kind of accountable they're considerate and responsible for their age and being able to follow rules and adhere to boundaries that would be really clearly important in terms of that and one of the things i've noticed is that you know the child who tends to want to be online more 
uh, maybe the one who's more vulnerable. You know, so the one who's badgering you and, and really pestering you for this device, uh, their need to be online might be an indication of that they might need actually more scaffolding and support yeah. to manage it. Um, and and again, like I have a 12 year old who you know he's making his confirmation this year. He's probably no interest in getting a smartphone. Right. My 10 year old daughter would take your hand off for one. You know, and so um, you'd kind of be more concerned around the vulnerability of young people. Um, and I did my research in this. I looked at online sharing as part of my PhD, and the people who kind of shared more were kind of not necessarily announcing themselves, but they were more finding themselves. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that, and and the, the, the significance of validation of feedback, you know, yeah. the people who are more consumed but how many likes they get are more vulnerable to that world than people who maybe have enough self-worth to not be that bothered by it, if that makes sense. Is it, it is, it does. Is it a fair question to ask whether it's boys or girls are more insistent on getting a smartphone? Are boys or girls more pushy is the question I'm looking for, to get the phone? Um, I suppose the pushiness is related to their perceived need, you know, and I think there's there's probably a more, I mean, I think girls probably have, have a more vulnerability towards social media as the problem whereas boys might have a more tendency towards gaming, you know, and I think that's there's a, there's concerns for both in that. I'm really aware that that's a very coarse generalization, but it, just because it's stereotyped doesn't mean it's not true. There is a kind of a need for the more kind of social interactive pieces and, and maybe girls might be more interested in kind of the Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram side of things, um, whereas boys might be more in, in uh, kind of uh, Xbox might be more the issue in terms of mm. managing their use of that. But um, in terms of persistence, each child can be persuasive uh, in their own way. Um, but you know, um, and and again, it might it might angle towards different parents. You know, you might see dad as the soft touch, and yeah. so you know the girl the girl might go to that. And and but it's really important that parents themselves have a conversation around what this means and yeah. you know over the next few weeks in the examiner i'm going to talk parents through those different ways in which you can introduce your child to technology in a way that is as safe as possible there's the thing though with that they are for the most part particularly when they get to 12 or 13 they're well ahead of their parents coleman they'd buy and sell their parents a lot of them would yeah and, and i suppose what the issue is and what we know is that your digital savvy doesn't make you safer in terms of, you know, the person who can, you know, we get kind of mesmerized by child, children who are able to finish a game or negotiate Google or even fix the modem. You know, that technological skill has no rel relative to their safety. It's uh -huh. their degree of cop on as a human being that is the more determined part of, you know, in terms of you're going to prognosis who's going to be in more difficulty online it's not the kid who's technologically savvy it's the one who's emotionally savvy is yes. a safer bet um, and that's why i think we need to invest in the child not the technology do you know it's not yeah. good or bad technology it's good or bad usage and so the investment has to be in preparing the, the child to be able to navigate that space rather than you know we can lean heavily on parental controls and apps and everything else but it really is your own way in which you can communicate with your child mm -hmm. to prioritize and be able to know what's important and what to sweat the small mm -hmm. stuff and not and that would be much more important in preparing them for that world mm -hmm. than just the technological skill yeah is there a conversation you can have with them where you say look here's your phone you're welcome to it but we have to be careful how we use this is it is it possible to have that conversation is it our job to have that conversation 
It's absolutely possible and it's absolutely our job. But I think the idea of, you know, we, we can minimize risk by telling somebody, you know, cross the road at a pedestrian crossing. But you can't legislate for someone who might break the lights. What you can do is have a conversation around how young people can keep themselves safe. But in order to do that, you have to show them. So I would say you start with very tight controls, high levels of surveillance and loosen as you go. So you get access to their passwords, you get access to their usage and they earn the right to have more freedom in that space by showing a level of responsibility. It's not about handing over the phone and saying, come back to me when you have a problem. The most important thing is if you come across something online that you're unsure about, you come to me. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I will take the device off you. And it doesn't mean that I confiscate it. Because that's the number one reason why children don't tell yes. their parents is they immediately think that they'll lose access. Say to them, we will navigate a way through it. But you must come to me if there's an issue. Let it be known to the child, there's nothing you can't tell me about what you find in that phone. Very important. 100%. And, you know, it's not about your child going out looking for pornography. It might be the case that pornography finds them. Yes. And so in that situation, it is about being able to approach that, that is, there's not a blame involved, but there is a negotiation of how to compromise and manage it. All right. Coleman, thank you for your time. Not at all. Pleasure. Cheers. That's uh, Coleman Nocter, a child psychotherapist. It is the thing that people are thinking about a lot. It's what now, the 2nd of March. We're going to be coming into confirmations. Back end of March into April, communions are in May. Would you buy an iPhone, a Samsung or whatever for a confirmation child? Would you buy one for a communion child? I remember being shocked a couple of years ago, being somewhere, I won't say where, at a communion of our own, shall we say, in our own circle. And there was another <clears throat> communion and the child had gotten a fancy, schmancy, sexy smartphone. The child was eight and they'd given them this thousand euro piece of equipment. And I'm sitting there going, do they know what they're giving that child access to at eight years of age? I personally wouldn't do it. We, with with uh, with my daughter, I think she was about 14 when she finally persuaded us to give her a phone. And she got a, a block. She got There was about as much connectivity in a solid turf as the thing we gave her. Now she's got the smartest of smartphones and she's better at them than I am. But I always thought 14, I think, I wouldn't even give a child a phone. On, let alone a smartphone until they're they're ten. Although there are phones now that you can get that you just program mom's number and dad's number and my brother's number into it, and that's all they can use. And don't know, don't know. Would you? Are you planning to? Have you a confirmation child or communion child? Are you planning to buy them a phone? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six. 96. We've got some response to Ashley's call and if you want more on gorse fires, next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM.
Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages and we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork's 96 FM. And we've had farmers on just saying, look, there is no option. We have to burn this stuff away as it'll take over an entire field. Carol says there's got to be some kind of solution involving goats. Should they eat the shoots and strip the bushes? No fire, no damage to drainage, no damage to the environment. And are goats like? <laughs> Who doesn't love goats? Thanks, Carol. On phones, on what age a child should get a phone, talking to Coleman Nocter about the fact, the simple fact that thousands of kids will get a phone for their confirmation or maybe even for their communion. He doesn't believe, I think, even though he doesn't say it straight out, as blunt as that, but interpreting what he says, children of communion age are too young for a smartphone and shouldn't have one. Mary, morning. Hello. Um, just um, something on smartphones there. Like there is an assumption, I suppose, um, that kids will have a smartphone when they're going to secondary school. Um, one secondary school, my niece is going to a school and they, they have lockers, you know, yeah. for their books or whatever. And on the front of the locker, there's a clear section that mm. they have to put their phone in. Yes. Okay, so it's out, you know. But my niece didn't have a phone when she went to school in September. Right. And, like, she, you know, she was the eldest child. They had a phone in the house and she needed to, you know, one of these kind of communal phones, whichever child needed the phone. If they were going somewhere, they'd give the, the child the phone. But she oh, didn't kind have of a shared mobile, phone. was it? Yeah, just okay. when you need it. Mm. So, like, if the child needs it, you give it to them. You know, so that they can contact you, and they wouldn't be. But it was a communal phone. We, I, we did that with ours when they were, but like that, is, this was before the days that every kid had one, like kind of thing of their own. We mm. had one that, you know, that if a child was going to play a match or something like that, that you, yeah, give them the phone to stick in the bag, and so they had it. But um, as a result of her not having a smartphone in school, her bag was searched a number of times. Assuming that she did have a phone, but it was in her bag. Oh, okay. So she came home a couple of times on her way to, I forgot a phone, I need a phone for my locker. You know, just to stick a phone in there to stop drawing negative attention to herself, I suppose. So they're sitting under pressure to... So so the the teachers thought she was sneaking a phone in her bag, so they searched it, even though... Yes, I wasn't wasn't in the habit of putting it up, you know what I mean? Like, they were enforcing the kind of policy. You you were saying they kind of need a phone these days, Mary. Well, if that's happening in schools, I would say that they absolutely do. You know what I mean? That's kind of... Yeah. And then I kind of don't... I don't really like the whole... Like... Are they under pressure because everybody can see what phone they have through this clear compartment to have a certain brand? Do do you think that communion is too young? Oh, wait, for God's sake. It becomes like, I would say different kids differ. Some kids it becomes like an appendage. 
and in other kids they couldn't care whether they have it at all. It's you know what attached, I mean? attached to the yeah, well that's what Coleman is saying about his two kids. His son couldn't be bothered, really couldn't be bothered, and his his daughter would take your arm off for one and she's the younger one. Mary, thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. One thing that is really taking off is the the, the gorse fire conversation. More coming after the news. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Ports 96 FM. Lots going on this morning on all of our different platforms. Megan says confirmation is early enough for a phone for a child. They're finishing up primary school, they're becoming teenagers and they'll be out a good bit over the summer. So maybe it's time to consider their first phone for their confirmation. But 200 quid would be much as much as I would personally spend on any child's phone. I, what I would do if I was giving a child a, a first smartphone and I'd walk into somewhere there like the IT shop in all of Brunga Street into my pad aid and there I'd walk in and it'd say give me a second hand phone for a child's first phone I wouldn't go buying them a brand new one and paying a grand for it some phones out there now you'd get a second hand car or some kind of a second hand car for the price of some of the new phones but I would I'd pop in there to someone like Aiden out of Brunga Street and I'd say listen I have a confirmation child and I want to give him a phone give me something that they can't do any harm with but they'll still be part of the part of the gang with that's what I would do I don't know about you last May says this message I saw a child in her communion dress buying an iPhone with her mom out of her communion money kind of made me sad my child was buying a teddy yeah communion definitely if you're to listen carefully to Colvin Doctor community is dead or communion communion is definitely too young definitely too young to be giving a child a smartphone. 0818 96 96 96. I'm going to Martina. Am I Fergal? Okay, just let me make a minor adjustment here. The the cost of your mortgage, everything's going up at the moment, but the cost of your mortgage has been going up and up and up over the last few months. And we took the decision in Coogan Towers a week or two ago or a month or two ago now to go to the mortgage provider and we gave up the tracker. We gave it up and we went and we only have, look, thankfully we're in single figures on years of our mortgage left, which is great for us. But we went to the lender and we asked for what they'd give us as regard to fixed rates. So we have fixed now for the next three years and we got a handy enough rate now, handy enough. It's a hell of a lot more than we were paying on the tracker two years ago or a year ago even, but it's a handy enough rate. But there's been a warning now to people who are coming to the end of a fixed rate that they could be in for a fright. Thousands of them, in fact, reading from The Independent here, thousands of them who are coming to the end of a fixed rate mortgage for, say, the last three or maybe five years. They're going to roll, nearly 50,000 people are going to roll out of that. And they are going to face massive rates. 
because the rate you went into on the fixed, people went into fixed rate mortgages at maybe 2, 2.5, 2.25, that way, that way. You're going to be coming out of it now and you're going to be faced with 4, 4.25, in some cases, because the ECB is definitely going to do one more jump and maybe two by the summer. Now, doddle.ie, D-O-D-D-L dot I-E, is a mortgage switching website. One of these ones that does all the heavy lifting for you. And Martina Hennessy is their CEO and joins me now. Like I said, Martina, we recently took the decision to, to forego the tracker and go fixed for a few years. And we're happy with that decision. People who are coming out of fixed, though, could be faced with a huge hike in their monthly payment. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. So we're, we've come out of a cycle where fixed rates were low for a period of over 10 years. So this is the first time that many mortgage holders are even seeing the fact that rates can increase and they've increased at a, a significant pace and I suppose scale over the last kind of in particular the last six months. So if we look at where interest rates are now, you know, many people who would have fixed even two years ago would have locked even 12 months ago would have locked down rates at two and a half percent or the lowest rate in the market was 1.95 percent. But fixed rates right now PJ are up to 5.95%. They've they've increased significantly in the last 12 months. And because we're yeah, and because of price... God, I got lucky. I got 3.5 for three years. Yeah, I'm impressed with you, PJ. I was very impressed. Wow. It made sense if you're in if you're in a short term left on the, on your tracker. There's many more people that are looking to actually opt out of trackers. And it's a very informed decision you have to make. You have to look at your own personal circumstances yeah. like you did and say, you know, I've single digits left on the term. It's different if somebody, the last trackers were given out in 2008. And, you know, terms back then were actually up to 40 years mortgage terms. So somebody might have a 15, 20, 25 year term remaining on the mortgage and that's a different decision for somebody coming out of a tracker because they might say okay I know I'm paying you know more than I did at least you know eight months ago but when will this turn the other way and, and if you have a longer term to run on your mortgage and you're thinking about coming off a tracker the consideration I suppose is are you better off being linked to the ECB base rate or the banks the Irish banks prevailing rates and in most cases over you know a longer period of time it may be the case that most people would prefer to have that linked rate that the fixed margin to the ECB but again, with trackers, every circumstance are different. But as a nation, we fix for short term. So anybody who's taken their mortgage after 2008, their options were fixed or variable. And 90% of mortgages have been drawn down over on fixed rates. But we tend to fix as a nation due to pricing of rates and availability of longer term fixed rates. We tend to fix for two, three, five year fix. So we're more exposed to interest rate increases. And because rates have increased over the last 12 months so significantly, it means that over the next 12 hours, over the next three years, as you've said, there's 50,000 mortgage holders who are going to experience these really sharp increases in their rates on top of additional increases in cost of living that we're all experiencing right now. So it's a cautionary tale just to say that anybody who's rolling out of a fixed rate this year get advice. Rates are still going up. So the banks have started to increase their fixed mm. rates, haven't increased their variable rates yet, except if you're on a tracker. But those rates are continuing. So we will see a further increase from all the pillar banks in terms of their fixed rates now. So if you're about to roll off, it's a real, I suppose, you know, just, just to say to everybody, just to take control of your mortgage, know what rate you're paying, know if you're on a fixed rate when it ends and see if it makes sense for you to revisit that fixed mm. rate now and mm. to look and see if there's a better rate for you to lock down a bit more medium-term security. Well, what led our decision, uh, Martino, was, like you said, the fact that we are on single figure, and I appreciate in saying that how lucky we are to be in that position. We had a 1.25 tracker. Mm. A 
Um, like we absolutely. were getting away with murder for the last 10 years. We had a 1.25 tracker. And now I'm looking at it, it's, uh, it's up to nearly 4% now and they're only going to go up. Absolutely. So, and I think, you know, with the trackers, we know that there's another European monetary policy meeting on the 16th of this month, right? And there's further, they have, they hold the monetary policy meetings every six weeks. And I think what's frightened people who are on trackers or what's, what's really been the, the kind of real, you know, clear factor for people on trackers is that the central bank of the ECB have been really clear to say, we're going to continue to increase rates until we bring inflation under control. And that's not something that you or I as a mortgage holder, if we're on a tracker, can do anything about. Okay. Yeah. So then, you know, we are looking to lock down that security because in your situation, we talk about 1.15 plus a 3% rate, you're 4.25 and you know it's going to go up further. Yeah. And yes, what comes up must come down at some point. Okay. We think, you know, you'd hope, but it will be, I suppose, into 2024 by the time I think things will ease yeah. off in terms yeah. of increased yeah. EC tracker rates or ECB base rates and then you're waiting for it to fall back down so somebody who has a shorter term less left on their mortgage you know the three the five year fixed rates I wouldn't say to fix on those necessarily you have to get advice on it unless you have a short term left on your mortgage if you have over 10 years or 15 or 20 you could make that kind of assumption that are you better off being linked to that ECB based rate? Because the bank's prevailing rates are based on their own funding costs. And when funding costs were zero, the banks were still lending at 3%, most of them on their standard variable and the fi- or sorry, on their fixed rates and mm. their standard variables were up to four and a half. So now that funding costs have increased, you'll have seen all of the Irish pillar banks over the last um four or five months since October, actually, they've started to increase the rates, all of them by 1%. But that's not finished yet. I would expect to see further imminent rate increases from all of those pillar bank lenders. And I think the big thing to say is that there is still value in the market, okay? Like, it's harder to find it, but every bank has a niche product. And the big thing is, if you're rolling off a fixed rate, not to accept the first rate that's offered to you. Because sometimes we say, oh God, that's what they're offering me. And, you know, we nearly treat our mortgages as a tax and it's just, we have to pay it, sure, there's nothing else we can do. when you have your mortgage, you're in control. You're not looking to take out a new mortgage to buy a house and that big stressful, you know, point. You're looking to look and revisit your mortgage yeah. terms. If you call the bank and you say, what else could you offer me? Is there something better that you have, particularly for people who are on standard variable rates? So they're not tracker mortgage holders. They're variable rate mortgage holders. And there's over 200,000 variable rate mortgage holders in the country who are on variable rates of up to four and a half percent with the pillar banks and they could save by locking down a fixed rate for a period of time so it's to get advice as to what rate suits you best right now because interest is so needless and i think you know we all again at the moment like everybody works so hard for the money the money is going out where it never went before on utilities and all general cost of living groceries etc so the mortgage is the one thing you can kind of control by looking to say am i getting the best value don't be afraid to ask you know sometimes we think with the banks God, I'm afraid to put my head over over the over the pulpit in case somebody says, what, what are you doing with that mortgage? They won't, unfortunately, take it back off you. So, you know, you're going to have to pay, yeah. but they're just trying to get the better rate. I'll, know, talk, the better about, rate I'll talk about switching in a minute, Martina, because that's what, what Dodd will do. But in terms of a person who is coming off a fixed rate now and say they had something like 2.5 or there or thereabouts and they're looking now at yeah. possibly 4% or more on a big mortgage. Will your bank have any sympathy for you if you go to them and say, listen, I simply can't afford that. Can we do any better? 
Yep. So absolutely. Every bank is regulated by the central bank. OK, so and the central bank have really strong guidelines in terms of if somebody is in financial distress or going into an arrears position, there's a mortgage arrears resolution process. So they will they have to engage with you. They have to if you engage with them, they have to look to help you if you're in financial difficulty, if you're going to be struggling with these higher repayments. However, they don't negotiate on rates. So that if you go to them and you're kind of saying to them, God, that's too high for me to pay. They're not going to change your rate or reduce your rate, you know, in that instance. Did, but they can are you ask them for an options letter, though? Uh, absolutely. You can ask them, what can you do? OK, so first of all, you'd ask them what other rates are available to see if you can reduce the actual repayments or what's been offered to you as the, the roll off rate from fixed. And then if you find that your circumstances have changed and that due to the increase in, or increase in rates that you're going to, you, you feel that you're go, it's going to put you in a position where you can't meet your mortgage commitment. Absolutely, you discuss that with the bank because they have to come to a, a resolution with you as to how you can best, whether it's an interest only period if you're under financial stress or whether they need to revisit the terms of your mortgage for the, at that particular okay. time for a specific period of time. But again, um, you know, rates have, have been at the lowest point they've been for 10 years over the last number of years. So anybody who is rolling off and they're, you know, they have been a first time buyer. And we deal with first time buyers and purchasers as well as switchers. But, you know, anybody who's purchased a home in the last 10 years, they won't have seen these increases. So yeah. it will be, again, well, you know, a real hit to very the Very scary. Absolutely. Very, very yeah. scary, Martina. Let's talk about uh, Doddle's switching business, though. D-O-D-D-L.A is your website. I remember hearing the ad for it on the radio. That's what brought me to to the attention of it. Martina, you know, I changed my broadband provider uh, recently and I changed my electricity and gas supplier with, shall we say, varying degrees of difficulty to the point where what little hair of my head I I had left, I was pulling out with the broadband (laughs) until I got it sorted. You know, it's never as easy as they say on the phone. Switching a mortgage. I remember when I got a mortgage, I had a pile of paper the size of an old Bible and a solicitor on one end of do you do all that heavy lifting? Has it gotten easier? Yeah, look, you know, the funny thing about any of these things is like we think about mortgages and oh my God, I did it once. It was so stressful. You know, yes. But when you're buying a house, okay, it's all the bidding. It's it can't get approval for enough. The house prices are so expensive. So you have all that stress, I suppose, in your life. But when you have a mortgage, you're in control, as I, as I said earlier. So, you know, if you're looking to switch, you're looking to switch because you want to get a better rate. You want to lock in better security for yourself or you want to take an equity release as your property to do some works. What we do is when somebody will come to us, they generally go, I don't have a clue where to start. I don't even know if I'm doing the right thing. And and sometimes because people don't understand where to even start or what rates look like and they're faced with so many rates, they kind of don't do anything. So you know, it's that buyer remorse that they're afraid to actually action anything. So what we would do is we would, uh, somebody would come to us and say, look, I have a mortgage. This is the rate I have. Can I do any better on it? And we'll say, you know what? You can't. This is this is where the rate environment is now. But what you might ask your existing lender for is X, Y, or Z. Or we say, in most cases, there's a really good rate on the market. This is what we have to offer you. This is what you can do if you switch. There is still the documentation piece. So when you look at it, the bank that's taken over your mortgage, even though you have a mortgage, needs to make sure under the, the uh, regulation and consumer protection that you actually can afford to take out this mortgage. So they need to say, okay, what's your income? You know, um, you know, and do, have you? been paying this mortgage you know successfully or you know satisfactorily I should say sorry over the last number of years so are is this mortgage still affordable they have to check that mm. so therefore they will ask for bank statements they will ask for pay slips so the documentation piece 
is there, it's tedious. But what we do is we take it and we say, great, we package it off the bank. We discuss what lender is best for you. And we submit that application and we get you through the loop of, you know, from start inquiry right through to convert and close out on that loan. Now, it takes six to eight weeks. to. I was just going to ask you that. So yes. if I come into you today and say, right, what, what are my options here? And you say, well, there's your option and let's go for it. You're saying yes. even even something that moves quickly, you're looking at six to eight weeks. Yes. And, and I tell you, you know, it's not that you're going to be involved every single day or every step of the process. That's our job. Once we have your documentation, it's to continuously push the th- things through the system. You'll have to get evaluation done of the property and you will have to engage a solicitor to move your title deeds from your current lender to the new lender. But you're doing it because it makes significant savings or right. you're locking down There's better There's a cost security. involved in that too, isn't there? There is, but a lot of the lenders have switcher packages or they have um, cashback offers. So the cost is covered. And you will only switch if it makes sense mm-hmm. to do so. So if it makes financial sense, if it doesn't... Because I remember, sorry, sorry to cut a question, Martina. I remember my, we moved house in 2004. That's the last time I had to deal with this stuff. And I remember my solicitor at the time saying, look, we charge a percentage. So it was, I think yeah. it's a, a quarter of 1% or something or half of 1% yeah. on the whole thing. So... It, that was obviously a couple of couple of thousand quid or a few hundred yeah. of these. Are we facing that too again with switching? Yeah, so yeah, a certification of title is what most lenders will look to do. Okay. So that or sorry, that's what's required. It's not a conveyancing, because a conveyancing is where the solicitor is checking the title deeds, checking the land, checking the maps, checking everything to make sure from a due diligence point of view, what you're buying is what you expect to buy and that you could sell it onwards again if you wanted to. When you're looking at um a um, um, switching position, what you're doing is you're taking the title deeds that are lodged with the mortgage with one bank and moving them to the new mortgage. So it's a much lesser process. Okay. Now we find between our clients it still does cost between nine to twelve hundred euros okay but again you're only going to do that if it makes sense to do so and most lenders have a switcher package which they're covering the cost to switch so you again that would be our whole advice piece with clients if it doesn't make sense to switch you don't switch you know you go back and and you'll tell you'll tell me if it makes sense yeah because Absolutely, because it'll be right there in front of you. All our rates, we deal with all major lenders. So all the rates will be in front of you to see, this is what I have at the moment. This is what I can save. But the big difference, I suppose, between this time this year and last year is that the savings, you know, we looked at clients last year and said, you can save by switching and it's, you know, 3,000 euros a year that you can save by switching. Now we're saying to people, if you don't review your rate, it's going to cost you so much more if you just take the first rate on offer. So I think it's, it's for people not to be afraid to check the rates, to be mindful that rates have gone up so to expect that but to make sure they shop around for value either do their research themselves go to a broker and just get proper advice because it's hard to know like I work in this industry every day and you know things change so much I've been in it for 20 years things change so much and so quickly at the moment with rate increases you have to get um, advice to make an informed decision Here's the question people are screaming at the radius for me to ask you for how much do I pay doddle.ie for all this? Ah, this is a lovely answer for me to give, PJ. So we don't charge a fee for a service. And how that works is we get paid by the lender you choose to take your mortgage with. So we're a distribution channel. So basically, we work with all major lenders and we offer the exact same rates and terms as you get by going to the individual lenders. lenders. But instead of having their own staff and office costs to procure mortgages and to work with clients, whether they're purchasing or switching, they pay us a fee. And it's the exact same fee regardless of the lender. Mm. So whether you take your mortgage... So you get a commission for bringing me to a lender. 
Absolutely. And it's the same commission regardless of the lender. Some brokers charge a fee, we don't. And a lot of our business actually is referral business. So we're lucky that if somebody uses, they say, you know, it's one of those things where if somebody's saving money, they're delighted and they'll tell somebody else. Or when they're buying a house, they're excited and they'll tell somebody else. So that's that's how our business works. Okay. Deborah wants to know, Deborah's in a very lucky position. She's only got about five years left on her mortgage, but there's no options available to her. Should there be? So that might be because Deborah's mortgage, if she's on a tracker, perhaps she's been moved from maybe one of the banks like Bank of Scotland or Ulster Bank to a loan servicing firm. So if somebody has moved from Bank of Ireland, for for example, or, you know, their loan was sold by Bank of Scotland, sorry, and they've moved to a loan servicing firm like Pepper, for example, Pepper aren't a mortgage lender. So they don't have fixed rate options for people. And it's been in the press recently that like that is a real challenge for people where they're on a tracker rate and they can't... about pepper, their their rates are huge. They're going to be huge. Yes. Yeah. And they don't have an option for you to fix. So the only way Deborah could actually change her rate, would ha- she would have to switch to another provider. And if she has a short term left on her mortgage, she might say, God, is it worth it or is it not? So it is a real challenge because the banks sold so many loans to loan servicing firms, particularly tracker mortgages, when they were, you know, reviewing their portfolios. So there are, I would expect that that's what the position is with Deborah, that there isn't an option for her because she is with a loan servicing firm as opposed to a mortgage lender. Whether that's fair or not, in my opinion, it's not. But but it is unfortunately the, the position that okay. people who have their mortgages with the loan servicing firm are in. All right, listen, pleasure to talk to you and get the benefit of your expertise. Martina Hennessy, CEO of Doddle.ie, D-O-D-D-L.ie. I'm sure we will speak again as the mortgage market just gets... It gets if you ask me, even though there's services like Doddle to do it all for you, I, I still am like the fella at the top of the bus all those years ago I don't know what a tracker mortgage is remember him now at the time I got the letter in thanks Deborah or sorry thanks Martina I got the letter in uh, with the tracker offer on it and I remember ringing my, my brother actually um, he's still taking points off me as thank you and he deserves it um, I said what the hell is this he said just sign it just sign it sign it before they change their minds <laughs> Yeah. 0818 96 96 96. My sympathies really are with you if you're one of those people who's got a relatively new mortgage of colossal money playing stupid interest. God help you. And trying to raise a couple of smallies as well. God help you. You might just want to sit back on Saturday and listen to a match on the radio and take your mind off it all. Premier League Live is back. Uh, 96M.ie this weekend with Trevor Welsh. Saturday from midday. Powered up as usual by TalkSport. Live coverage of Manchester City against Newcastle, half 12. Arsenal against Bournemouth at 3. Southampton v Leicester at half past 5. It's Premier League Live Online. Brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app. If you haven't got it, why haven't you? Get it now or go to 96FM.ie. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96FM Whatever sport you support, grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May. And Friday 26th is Jersey Day.
You make me feel Get together with family, friends, colleagues or classmates And wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services See 96fm.ie for more 96fm.ie for more The Giving for Living Radiothon Supporting Cork Cancer Services May 25th to 27th You make, you make me feel Only on Cork's 96fm Did you see, you, you can't avoid it Looking at Paul Meskell's attempt at an interview with T.G. Cahar on the red carpet before the BAFTAs last week. Um, he, he did his best, to be fair. He did it in school, like the rest of us. Thirteen years of it, of compulsory Irish in school. And then he found himself a little bit stumped. He thought his Irish was all right. Quisuk, as they say, was he was stumped by the reporter because she had, the reporter had Donegal Irish, so he was a bit, a bit stumped. But he did his best, and of course, typical of someone like Paul Meskell, he got great publicity for it, and people are talking about now whether Irish can be, can be cool again. Um, Brenda Power has been writing about this in in the Sunday Times, and Brenda, you know, you think that it's time to look at the way we teach it. We all did it right through school. Now I can understand Irish. I can listen to Radio Nagueltokta or watch TG Car, and I don't really need the subtitles, but to hold a conversation could be difficult for me. And I think that's a lot of us. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Yeah, I mean, that is my point, really. You know, like you say, Paul Meskell, like yourself and myself, did 13 years of Irish from the age of four up until 18, whatever that would be, four or five. And, and still, you know, he he's, he gets plaudits for being able to string four sentences together. I mean, is that not proof that compulsory Irish is just a failed experiment and it's time to approach the teaching of the language in a completely different way? I mean, you know yourself, you didn't you didn't learn to speak English by being handed a textbook at the age of four. You learned it by listening to it and by speaking to it and by, by having an interest mm. in the subject that was being spoken, that was being addressed. You it know was the I mean? spoken language all time. around me, at home, in school, in shops. Language, yeah. 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 And that's the way it should be. I mean, that's the way you should learn Irish. But forcing it on people, first of all, anything that you're forced to learn, anything that you're forced to consume, you're just not going to have a natural affection for it. I mean, I, I wish I was good at Irish. But I left school post-traumatically stressed by the way that it was taught. And I think a lot of us did. And, and you were put off what should be your heritage and what should be something you embrace willingly. And I suppose the point I was making was now that Paul Meskell has made it sort of sexy again, and now that Colleen Kuhn, which is, you know, an absolutely marvellous movie. Gorgeous movie. Gahalling Do not hesitate. To my mind, I have to say, streets ahead of banshees but anyway that's mm-hmm. another day's work um but i mean now that you know that 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 there's a sort of a renaissance in the language why not capitalize on that scrap compulsory irish i mean my 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 honestly ideal situation would be you, you don't have any such thing as a textbook all through yeah. primary school that it is just spoken and that you speak you know that the kids are encouraged to speak irish during the fun bits of school like the the art class the playtime yeah. you know that the the teachers if they could of course the problem is probably a lot of teachers couldn't either because they learned the same way as we did the same way as you do for your oral Irish in the Leaven search. You learn off a few sentences and you rattle them back out again. Like, I'm Brenda. No, 
really, yeah, not no. possible. I couldn't, not at no. all. No, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't. And I mean, I was I was in awe of Paul Meskel actually being able to 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 get as far as he did before he had to say. That's that's me done, you know, and it was pretty basic yeah. standard of Irish too, which is grand. Well, that was and a simple I mean, question. It took me forty seconds to put it together in my head, which is a fault in the system. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I'm I'm sure your grammar was spot on. I can't I can't challenge you on it. But I mean, I, I I just about understood what you asked me, and that's a disgrace. It really is. Yeah. You know, I I I think I'd be I'd probably be better. Uh, I'd speak French more fluently after a weekend in French than than I would than I would Irish. And it's I it's funny actually. You go on holidays to Spain else. for two weeks, and by the end of the second week, you've picked up so much from just listening that yeah. you can order your dinner in in, in half decent Spanish. Uh, yeah. I remember yeah. being in Swansea a few years ago, Brenda, and I saw something, and I thought it was lovely. I was I was waiting for someone. Uh, for a meeting and I was waiting in a bar and I said I'd have a coffee and a sandwich while I was there and sitting up at the counter and there was this lovely young Welsh girl behind the counter we were just chatting about the, the day and she was from Cork or she was in Swansea and I was from Cork and the cities were twinned just chatting about it and this old gentleman came in to the other end signalled to her and she went over and she had a fluent conversation with him in the most beautiful Valley Welsh and she was only in her 20s and I wonder how the hell can't we do that? Well, I, I think that, that younger people, that younger generation are actually, in spite of the way it's taught, not because of are beginning to embrace it. And, and you know, someone like Paul Meskell's example now will, will probably encourage people. I see my own kids now and, and they use this Duolingo to, 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 to improve yeah. their Irish because they want to. And that is, I, I'm telling you, that is in spite of the way they were taught it, yeah. not because of it. Because I don't. It's a shame. It's I a love shame. it. I love it. I love the Irish language. I just can't use it as well as I should be able to after... And the thing about it is, you you know yourself that there are are words in Irish that we use in English because we've inherited them that do not have a translation. They don't have an English equivalent. So the the Irish language is much more, much more rich, much more nuanced than English in many cases. And that's lost to us if we can't communicate it. And we can't. And, and you know, I, I mean, I guess I get flack anytime I, I write this. I've been been saying this for years. We need to scrap compulsory Irish, make primary school all about spoken, all about spoken Irish. Then if you want to proceed with it in, 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 in at second level, incentivize it with extra points at the leaving cert. Yeah. So, you know, make it rewarding to study yeah. but but everybody should leave leave primary school able to have a brief conversation in Irish that should be the only aim of it not to be able to read not to know the Tishal Ginnaduk not to you know the Mokini yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think simply are able to speak I think there's the problem too, too, too much, much Tishal Ginnaduk and Mokini Look, I used to have nightmares the, the word, yeah, exactly. Even the word gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> still, if you put it onto my head, I wouldn't know what it meant. Oh, thank you, articles of Brenda. Come here, Margaret. Brenda Power from the Sunday Times doesn't believe in the future that compulsory Irish is, is the way to go. We do it for 13, 14 years in school. I love it. I'm delighted to hear so many of these ads now, Oscar And I can understand them quite fluently. But ni them a... Dane Kind properly anyway Uh, Mary, good morning to you Hello listen just on the compulsory uh, it's not the fact that it's compulsory that turns people off, we have, there's all sorts maths is compulsory, English is compulsory Um, in most schools you have to do a foreign language, French or German or whatever and they're compulsory for your leaving cert, they're compulsory you know what I mean, when you're selecting your subjects. So it's not the, the fact that it's compulsory. And I actually do think it needs to 
needs it needs to be taught differently. That's yes. absolutely the case. There is no way, no two ways about it. Like kind of thing, maybe something like you see, like Suzuki method in violin music. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? That you're you're not learning from sheet music, yeah. which is the equivalent of a textbook. You're learning by ear and yeah. sound yeah. and repetition and all that kind of type thing. Yeah, I'm always so, drawn back know, to that to that lovely conversation with the young. Welsh girl in the pub in Swansea when she realised yeah. I was from Cork and she had friends there and she was over and back. She was talking to me in English and then an elder, elderly customer came in and the most beautiful Welsh, Valley Welsh, you know. And as a young, I think young people, a lot of young people would love to be able to do that, to be as, they to would, flip but between you, the two. But do you remember the Foynia? The Foynia? I do well. Like, I was looking at old photographs there from, that my father had. So many people had that. Yes, they had. At the time. You know what I mean? And, you know, Irish wasn't taught. It was beaten into most of those poor people, not a mind. Um, You know, so, you know what I mean? There are things, and that would work, like, kind of thing, even if you just say slawn to a bus conductor or something who has a fine, yeah, or something like that. You know what I mean? But we'd probably be accused then of, not being diverse or inclusive or something. I don't, something. No, I don't, I don't, know, like kind of I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I like that idea. I, lo- I like that idea of the few. I, I have a tendency to drop out. A couple of fuckers. Like drop, yeah, drop yeah. fuck a leg in know, from time to time. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, like kind of thing my mother used to always say, Sloan, when we were going yeah. out the door rather than goodbye. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just something. Yeah. Indeed, right. you know, or Suicide and Styra, you know what yeah. I mean, it was bedtime or something like that, better right. rather than sending us to bed. But I don't think the compulsory is, and I think it actually needs to be because at different points you could opt out. Yes. And lose it if it doesn't, like, you know what I mean? I know my own children, some of them came to love Irish very late in their school yeah. school career. And, you know, yeah. and actually in one my it was a trip to Spiddle. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks in the grave yeah. talk. He, yeah. he wanted to go to another one with his friends. This was the only two weeks that suited. He went up there, didn't know a sinner, so he had to speak Irish because he couldn't, <laughs> you know. It was like a complete road to Damascus yeah. for him, you know what yeah. I mean? And absolutely switched his whole perspective. And that's on great. And that's and fantastic. You know, I went to the Grail you know, a couple of times and, you know, we had a great we had a great time and you came back with better Irish. You came back from the Grail because you yeah. had to. You had to. But then it was all gone. Uh, you know, a couple of months later it was all gone back to where it had been. Mary, Carmel Mahagut, Slán. Uh, Michaela is, uh, you're a teacher. It's Moontor who, uh, Michaela. Um, so I take it that you like the idea of the compulsory Irish but you do have Thoughts on how we might change it from close to Eamon Reach. This Margaret. And that's about as far as I can go <laughs> without having plenty of time to think. We, and and there's the problem, Michaela. I could probably yeah, conduct no, more than a lot of people anyways. <laughs> you know. I think it up. It doesn't come yeah. off the tip of my tongue. I, you know, it's Federum AU side, but I have to think about it. Yeah, I know I understand completely. Um, like I suppose like the compulsory aspect for me is important and like you know for a lot of people as well I think if Irish wasn't compulsory in schools I don't think that the language would have been introduced to a lot of people and people wouldn't have had the opportunity to fall in love with it and like I speak for myself a lot because at home we don't have much Irish at all so my parents have the cupola fuckle and like 
by God, they made an effort to use it when they could. But like, I'm not from the Gaeltacht. I don't have a family that are completely fluent. It was just from falling in love with it in school. Became, it was the reason that I did fall in love with the language. And like, you know, I suppose if it didn't, if I didn't have school, that love, I wouldn't have been induced to that love of the language at all. So like, I suppose there's two ways, two sides to the story. Yes, it is compulsory, but as someone said earlier, like so is maths, English, and most foreign languages in schools. Yeah, and like, I think sometimes it's more the attitude is of people it needs to be changed, and I think it's kind of coming from those as well who've gone through school, and like that negative connotation of the language has been passed through generations, which then when children are coming to school, they hear from home, oh geez, like you know, I hate, my my mom and dad hated Irish, my sisters hated Irish. But things are changing now and it's much different in schools than it probably was 10, 15 years ago. I think they hated Irish. I know one of the reasons I came out of school with a kind of a love-hate relationship with Ingraelan was because of the stuff that we were taught. Like Peg Sayers, I'm sorry, but I wanted to dig up her bones and dance on them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. So the course has changed on things and like, you know, I can only take from examples of my own teaching career at the moment. Like and I'm only starting out new. But like, you know, we're, we're on a new course for the junior cycle and, you know, there's pros and cons to that course. But like, for example, during the week when I was in class in my second years, you know, the topic of the conversation was technology on technology. And what we were using in that and what vocabulary was there was things to discuss, maybe TikTok, Instagram, things that is of known to them. Yeah. You know, there's a niche now out there that there's people blogging Oscailin, there's people yes. TikToking Oscailin, and like they're able to access that, which maybe 10, 15 years ago, as you said, it was Peg Sears, learn your poetry, do that. But now it's being used in a sense, I believe, like in a communicative way that students can use it in aspects of their life that they use every day with English, you know? There's some fabulous like, TikToks of actually of, of people doing everyday conversations, Oscar Elga, and translating it back and forth and understanding the nuances between the two. And they're only little short videos and they're fun. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think, you know, obviously, like, you know, I have a complete love and a grow for the language. And as I said, like, that was instilled in me from schools and from teachers I had. So I think, like, it's important those for us who are teaching it then to put that across to the students that we do love it and it is used outside of the classroom as well as inside the classroom you know in our school like we have some small initiatives I know I have in some of my classes you know like speech to me Oscar like outside of the classroom like I don't go to we don't they don't go to a great class but like you know use it in a conversation with me outside of the classroom and not in the classroom mm. you know we have a school shopper now like and like it's they're asking for the sweets and stuff in Irish you know it's so small initiatives and those incentives for kids to use it outside the classroom is extremely important you know and like I just feel personally like really strongly about it and I was like you know we have to everyone else has to make the effort it's okay to say like you know it shouldn't be compulsory in school but you have to look at yourself as well as you said are are you saying slow to someone when you're leaving are you saying do you wish you know like those small aspects of it that can be so easily done yeah indeed indeed I, I, I would hate to see a lot of people said years ago it's dead let it die no I would hate to see it die I really would yeah like you know for example even I just think going back to this year in school and stuff like you know we've a lot of international students over for the year with us and um some of them asked me at the beginning of the year could they pop into the Irish class and like those girls now are from Germany and Spain and they're working away with kids in my school and I felt like kind of like instilled a bit of pride into the kids in my class that were originally there you know sometimes we are kind of ashamed by the language you know, when there was 
students coming into the class mm. that had no Irish, you know, they were Spanish or German. The kids felt, I felt to anyways, that they felt proud to be Irish and be able to have that cupola fuckle, yeah. yeah. which then they passed on to those kids in the school. And, you know, it's been going back to me from another teacher that, like, those kids now, those international kids, use that cupola fuckle with another Irish teacher outside of the classroom. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, it's gone in their fad, like. And like, it's brilliant. just so nice to see that aspect of it, like, yeah. But That's I think fabulous. That has to come from, yeah, I think it has to come from, you know, it's the pride aspect, you know, we're kind of ashamed by it at times, you know, it's kind of like, I think a lot of shame comes towards the language when people are, don't think they have enough or they don't have anything at all. Yeah. I think the first step of it, obviously, is using what you have and then build on with it. You right. know? You know, Brenda brought like, up the point, Michaela, the, you know, the whole Mo Kanilik and Tishel Ginderduk, we used to have nightmares about them. And yeah. I would think that what... What discouraged me from, you know, the open to side Aston Cooper Fuckle was that somebody might correct grammar. Yeah, no, I totally understand. And like, yeah. you know, like I teach a bit of Spanish myself as well, but like it's kind of like there is always a grammar aspect to a language. And like, you know, I think sometimes people are too worried about that aspect of it, you know, and like what's happening now when I feel is like, you know, the conversational aspect of the language is the most important thing. Being able to maybe to understand what someone's saying is more important than understanding, as I said, your Mo Kanilik or Tisha Gindok. And like, you know, in a sense, the Mo Kanilik, if you think about it really, if there's one question really you can be asked in your leaving cert oral, isn't the Mo Kanilik? Mm. So I think it's like, you know, people, you know, make the connotation with it, like, oh, the Mo Kanilik Irish, I hate it. But when you actually step back and you think about it, because you say it to your class in front of you, it's one question yeah. at the end of the day in an Irish oral. You might never use it ever again. Yeah. But like, are you not better off being able to have the conversation in Irish and talking yeah. with others about things like, you know, interests and just normal daily topics? Yeah. My, my lovely friend, my lovely too. friend, Bibi Baskin, who's now retired, used to say to me, Toshes, Tixi Kown, Ni Hitchemark, Usaide. Yeah, no, it doesn't like. But like, it's just. Yeah. I think though, like, you know, for me, like I have friends that I've met over through the years and that like just in situations that I met them maybe in the Gael Talked or they're from the Gael Talked, it's just a habit now maybe not to speak to them in English and like it's making that effort and that kind of be aware of it, you know, sometimes mm. it's just out of like, you know, respect to thing as well, you know, like yeah. we should be proud of it and what we have we should use. Yeah. And yeah. like no matter where you are in the world, if you meet someone and they're Irish, like they'll always use the cupola fuckle with you, like. And like, I've been away and like I was on holidays during midterm. Oh. And I met another teacher, but he was from the, he's from an Irish teacher, but like. Oh God, Don Lena, Don Lena, the lines after collapsing on us, Michaela, and have a good day. Have a good day. When me tan of us on Cora, Michaela Hyde from close to Eamon Reish. Your thoughts on Irish? Welcome. I remember something very funny happened one time. We were in a taxi in Lanzarote, going from you'll know it if you're ever there, Matagorda to Personal Carmen, and the guy was taking a different road. And I thought, oh Christ, we're going to get stung here now by the taxi. And I said to the wife, who'd have the same thing with Irish as me, she was she was taught it, she has it, but she doesn't use it. I said, Tashi Togan done bore her me cart here. And he turned around and he said, no, you're all right. And I go, what the hell? He, said, <laughs> he was local, but his wife 
Hos Fum Badavuni. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Just to finish out today, um, we talked with Ita and Kira. Kira's her daughter. Uh, Ita sold her house in Middleton. Um, moved to Mallow. The move didn't work out. Now she's back in Middleton. The proceeds of the sale of the house are in the bank, but she has nowhere to go. The price of houses has gone up. She's staying in B&Bs and she's staying in a hotel at the moment using the money that's in the bank. They don't qualify for HAP because clearly they have assets, money in the bank and they don't, there isn't anywhere for them and Kira came to us to see could we help um, Ita has cochlear implants and she's registered blind and her, her daughter is it, uh, her, her, her younger daughter is has Down syndrome and all the various demands that go with that and we listen to them we'll podcast that uh, later on if anyone can help then they can come forward Vic says this is really sad really sad how can our elected reps sleep at night hearing one of their own struggling like this it's just insane but when it comes to others mountains can be moved would the lady on the phone and her mother consider buying building a granny flat that would keep her close to her family? Best wishes. That's true too. Has Ita or her daughter tried posting to Acts of Kindness or Mallow Notice Board on Facebook? You'd be amazed the solutions that could solved by the people who were there or any East Cork page that does Acts of Kindness. They were just reaching out to see what might be doable and we'll come back to it if there is any development. Earlier in the week we were chatting about signs and whether you believe in signs. Andrew, listening to your show yesterday on the topic of signs, you reminded me of something that happened to me years ago. I was going to the funeral of a close friend in the depths of winter. As I left, I noticed a single white feather on the hallway. Hmm. This happened again in the church. There was one white feather on the seat next to me. Hmm, again. At the graveyard, as the coffin was lowered, I bowed my head. And yet there was another one on the ground. This was getting spooky, so I started to wonder what the hell was going on here. We left the graveyard and went to the pub. Standing at the bar, there were more feathers on the ground. And then I saw it. Me puffer jacket with a hole in it. And the feathers were falling out. So much for superstition, says Andrew. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.